This is the University of Applied Research and Development's Emergency Response and Risk Management video and podcast. You'll meet world-class leading professionals who share their wisdom, careers, and experiences. Join us on YouTube and all quality podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and Radio Public. Welcome, everybody. This is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development. This is our Emergency Response and Risk Management podcast and videocast. We are privileged to be here today with Paul Makita, who is in New Jersey, an emergency response and preparedness specialist with a hospital in that great state. So, Paul, thank you so much for being with us. No worries. Glad to be here. Paul, how long have you been in your, in your position? And tell us what you do and how you do it. My position itself, I've been here for about about six years. Uh, my uh, primary function is to uh, more so on the preparedness component of the hospital, uh, making sure uh, plans are in place, making sure the uh, critical assessments are done, education developed, appropriate staff are trained, um, and then if needed, which uh, we're in that present state now, uh, assisting and guiding the uh, the administration of the hospital towards response and recovery efforts from any any incident. And so, so when I, you say staff training, Paul, what particular things do you find are always on your training schedule? Um, training schedule that I have, I try to keep it uh, pretty pretty full. Um, a lot of it's uh, incident management and incident command training for uh, for our administration. Uh, the staff know this this set of staff. Um, of employees kind of knows how to manage things, but managing a disaster is different than managing the everyday. So uh, making sure they have the tweaks and the tools and, and the knowledge base so that if they are called in to uh, serve as an incident commander for the hospital at any given point in time, they at least have a basic understanding of the emergency management principles. Um, also responsible for uh, mass casualty training for both the ED, the operating room, and all, and all the other, all, all their associated staff. Um, I also do uh, decontaminate, uh, patient decontamination training for the uh, our uh, decontamination team in the emergency department, as well as uh, evacuation training for both the equipment and the uh, the clinical component of like, you no, know, how do we manage patients if we, you know, God forbid, did have to evacuate part overall of the hospital. What sort it of situation? Sorry, Paul, carry on. Keeps me kind of busy. I can imagine that's, that's a very full schedule with a range of different topics. What kind of situations have you experienced where you've had to do de decontamination? Uh, we've had uh, most of the ones recently that we've had, uh, thankfully, have been uh, either motor vehicle accidents involving like you know, gasoline or, 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 or oil. Um, we have had a couple of situations where we've had a couple of uh, illegal drug dens found in the area where uh, we had one or two explode and we had uh, you know, components of what we used to cook uh, methamphetamines get onto patients. Wow. So it's, uh, it's interesting trying to keep the, keep, keep the staff uh, up to speed. I mean, it's, it's one of those things you don't want to see those things happen, but having those things happen actually reinforces the staff why they do the training every year. So it's kind of one of those catch-22s. 
Paul, you mentioned about incident command centre training. Do you have your own incident command centre there in the hospital? Yes, we do. We actually uh, we actually maintain a hospital command, or more more along the lines of a hospital coordination centre. Um, looking at it from the from the tour component, that uh, incident command is done at the at where the where the emergency is, and anything above that is kind of coordinating. Um, so yeah, we do we do maintain actually we maintain three levels. Uh, we maintain an initial command center with our uh, nursing supervision, so that if we had what we call a no-notice event, a mass casualty, an explosion, or something at the hospital, we can initially start command operations. And then we have a primary command center, which is where like the administrator administration would come in. We'd have to put more of a traditional emergency operations center type component to uh, to what we're looking to do. So initial primary, did I miss one? What was the the uh, second? Uh, we have a second. We have a backup one, backup. a backup to the primary if we needed to. Wow, so this is that's such a variety of things. Emergency response and particularly preparedness has so many, so many components to it. Tell us about your background and things you've been through that you think have really prepared you for your role. Uh, my my background is is uh, rather varied. Um, I've been I've uh, been involved in emergency uh, services uh, for at some point in time at some level for the last 25 going on 26 years. I started as a uh, basic uh, EMT or first aider in the state. Uh, went and began, went and became a uh, emergency room nurse. Uh, from there, became a uh, basically a paramedic for the state. Um, while I was doing that, I went and got my master's degree in emergency management. Um, and some of the things I've done over the course of the years, I've been involved in the evacuation of several apartment complexes on the EMS side. I served as the uh, EMS liaison for my, uh, my municipal uh, OEM for a couple of years when I was younger. Uh, when I transitioned to the hospital, I kind of became part of the, the emergency management group, uh, initially focusing, focusing specifically on the emergency department. But that eventually wound up uh, putting me in the position I am now, where I'm responsible for not only just the emergency department, but the whole hospital. Wow. So if you, in hindsight, if you could take yourself back to when you started, where you are now with this organization, in hindsight, what do you see were the gaps in the organization that you would immediately plug to be prepared? Um, as with any because the house I work for is, is a private, is, is a private nonprofit. Um, but that being said, the ultimate, the ultimate game plan there is you know, to at least bring in enough money and to balance the income and the expense so that they can stay in business. So one of the biggest gaps I see in not only my, my private organization, but most private organizations is the, the, the emphasis on response and not preparedness. Um, I tend to view my, like, I tend to view, when I talk to you about, about what I do, I tend to view my role as the insurance policy for the hospital. Now, it's like auto insurance. You don't want to have to pay for it, but when you get into that accident, you're happy you have it. Um, same basic concept. My knowledge, my background, my experience is going into uh, the plans and the procedures and having the time to, 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 to do that. It, it has over the course of you no, know, realistically we're in the middle of a pandemic um, has actually sh markedly shortened the amount of time it took for the, the organization to get its hands around how we would respond. 
uh, whereas other organizations were sitting there and trying to trying to re trying to invent the wheel. We were able to pull three or four plans together, take different parts of each plan, put it into one response plan. So within about a week, we had 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 our our, our process to go. But had a, a couple of years before me taking my position, that may not have necessarily been the case. Um, just because the, the focuses were were different. Right. Okay. But I but, but I tend to find that in any organization, people don't want to spend money on things they will hopefully never have to use. Right. So Paul, now, like in the last three months, your I would imagine your day to day focus has changed quite a lot or been emphasized on what you need to focus on due to the pandemic. So how has your day to day life changed? Um actually it has actually become markedly more routine. Um, previously my, my day-to-day life would, uh, would be walking in, you know, prepping for either putting together prep, prep stuff for education, doing research for, for procedures, research for, uh, research for policies, uh, you know, initiation of coordination efforts, you know, just for, for planning type things. Nowadays, I pretty much walk in, I punch in, I go to the command center and I, and I, am doing planning operations for the command center for, you know, for pretty much my entire shift. Right. Okay. And so, so if you were that, but, but no, so that, that, that just kind of highlights the differences. You know, preparedness is, as you mentioned before, is very broad. It can be any sort of thing, but when you get into a response, you know, it becomes a very specific matter focusing exactly on the task at hand. Right. And I would imagine because you are there and because of the preparation that you've already put in, and as you said, you've got policies or procedures, mapped out your plans already you can bring them together and respond to the situation are there are there other instances that you're aware of or can you give us a scenario that you know of where there are other organizations close by without naming any names where they don't have this capacity of you and what you've done and how different how different it is um there are some some market differences. Um, a lot of what I've heard from from talking to some some colleagues is the push for the you know specifically now we're kind of we're kind of in the middle of this, moving towards the tail end of it. So there's been some conversations like you know the, the hospital command centers by through administration the hospital command centers are no longer required. Um, whereas you know we're we're still using our command center. Well, we, re- we recognize that we don't, it's not necessarily needed for the response stage. Those procedures and those processes have been established and they're kind of running on their own. It's now moving the process, the thought process from response to recovery. So a couple of, uh, some of the other organizations are having some fun trying to maintain their command centers where they have them. Now, to my, in, to, in just my opinion, prematurely without having a, a, a concise plan towards how they're going to get back and up, up and operational. So how are you changing your, your day-to-day focus? What things are you starting to implement as you're moving into this next stage? Um, well, right now, the, the big process here, um, you know, we've, hospital, we've had a lot of patients come through. We've had a lot, a, a lot of patients die. Um, it's a matter of trying to do what's, it, it's, it's maintaining that balance between patient care, uh, family information, and staff safety. No, as well as visitor safety and everything else. So it's a matter of trying to figure out what what that balance is. 
but the processes that we look implement here um, are usually they're, they're usually decided upon as a as a collective group within the command center, um, taking account all those all those balancing things. So we've we've uh, been able to implement processes for like visitation, where we've gone from absolutely no visitors to we've identified that we have some patients that because of the disease pro because of the disease now needs family educate family to be educated to a system at home with devices that they've never dealt with before. So now we've kind of moved to okay, well now we have restricted visitation where it has to be approved through the command center, but certain criteria have to be met. Um, so those, those types of processes and things like that, that we've been able to use the general processes and principles that, that you know, emergency management has to, to, to help work out that balance. Our industry partners that we set up the faculty with, um, it's a foundation called Waguna and uh, the Wild Geese Academy and they're all over the world. And they have some very interesting stories to tell from their experiences and being an incident command and emergency response. What's one of your most memorable or interesting situations you could tell us about? Uh, in which aspect? Um, you know, when I, when going back, I was, I, was in, I was the incident commander for, uh, well, the EMS branch commander for a fire at a 22-story apartment complex but high rise. Um, thankfully, it wasn't like it wanted to be more of a smoke condition inside than anything else. But it's definitely fun coordinating that many agencies between fire, EMS, police, rescue, um, you know, township, because we had to bring the township out for, for sheltering and stuff like that. Those types of that, that scenario kind of sits with me where. You know, we had enough ambulances there that when we lined them up, one one behind the other, they it, it traversed probably about two and a half miles of roadway. Wow. Uh, thankfully, we didn't need them, but that that planning brought brought them there as the well. If this truly gets to the worst case scenario, what are we going to need to do, and how are we going to need to do it? Um, you know, it's I, I always have fun with. A lot of my a lot of my colleagues call me Doctor Evil because of the scenarios I come up with with regards to education and training and tabletops and exercises and stuff like that. Um, but you know, in the last couple of weeks, last couple of weeks, they've all said keep them coming because if I can if I if I can train them and get them thinking for the worst case scenario, if we can write a plan or a procedure for that worst case scenario, anything in between is just a little piece of whatever puzzle that, that, that we've been able to put together for them. And that, that's probably my, my biggest takeaway from any of this. Um, you know, I try to spend about 80% of my time doing preparedness, the research for the plans, the, the evaluations, the assessments, um, the education development, the, the, the hazard assessments, um, because in reality, I've seen the benefit both with, Personally, with myself, with, with the training and the experiences I've had and the ones I've been able to impart on my colleagues in my, in my current position, to know that, you know, preparedness is, is, is where it's at. You know, and as, as I wind up telling people when, we do the, when, when I do exercises, you know, this is kind of like sports. At the end of the day, sports teams don't just get on the field and play a game. 
they scrimmage beforehand, they practice beforehand, they develop plays beforehand, they even go so far as to watch films of their opponents that they're watching. Each of those steps is actually equatable to a step in the preparedness cycle. And it's only when they get to the game day that they enter that response mode. Now, at the end of the day, any emergency we have is, is our game day. And if we've gotten to that point without practicing, we're going to be as well as we're going to do as well as any sports team that's never played together on game day, you know, against, you know, a, 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 a planned challenger. Um, so, I mean, that, that's one of my biggest takeaways is, is trying to get people to realize that this is something we, we, we deal with that every, every day as a society. And it's just looking at it from a different, different aspect, different view. I love that analogy. That's really, really great. Seeing yourself as like a professional sports team. That's a great analogy. So yeah, Paul, and, it, and it winds up being fun, especially like in, in the healthcare world, because the, your, the, team you're, the team you're scheduled with is very rarely ever the same. So I always sit there and say, okay, now imagine your team getting on the field to play a game. And oh, by the way, you've never practiced before. And you've never played together before. And you usually watch everybody go. They usually give me the holy crap look. Like, this, that's truly what, it, what it's going to wind up being. Right. So, Paul, if, um, you know, people that are watching this and they are preparing for a career and they'd love to do what you do, what are some of the things that you would tell them that they need to plan to do over the next few years, experiences and trainings? Um, the, the, the first thing I would do is, tr is try to at least get into – not so much the, doesn't it need to be the emergency management field, but the field that they want to do emergency management in. Um, I think, I mean, I can probably attribute my, my, the, 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 any successes I've had in the, in the healthcare emergency management world to being in, to being in it for, you know, 20 plus years at different levels. Um, you know, it allows me to bring in all those different experiences. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to me, it would be kind of hard to walk into healthcare emergency management, not having been in healthcare. There's so many different nuances um, that, that have to be, that you can only learn by being in it. Um, you know, and then as they get into that, most, most agencies nowadays are doing some sort of business continuity planning. They're doing some sort of, you know, emergency management planning or some version of that component. As you get into the organization, start to get into those, start to come associated with those circles. Um, and eventually you'll start seeing yourself getting involved in the things that start putting your fingers on, on, where, th on where things are. Um, and back that up with education and training. You know, I tried, I tried to, I've learned or I've seen that education on, in, in this area tends to have a little bit more of a value long term than just training. Because uh, most of the training classes I've been are very specific for a very specific sort of thing, whereas the education, uh, and I'm sure the education that you're trying to impart, is very is more general. It's the concept and the the principles, and then the education on how to apply those to any situation, not just you know how to manage an incident, uh, you know, a train derailment or how to manage uh, a motor vehicle accident, but the general concepts of emergency management that you can use across any incident. Um, get into those, start to have a strategic mindset, not a tactical mindset. Um, that's 
that's the one one shortfall I see with uh with you know a, a good chunk of my friends. Not not in emergency, not that they're bad at the at the incident management, but because of their training, they're trained at the tactical level. What resources do I need take for this? Versus the, the strategic level of okay, well we're here. What's the next? What are the next steps going to be? Um, I tend to find that a very unique mindset compared to how most people, how most uh, technical people are trained. Um, and th those, those I think would be would my be, be my big takeaways. Um, don't necessarily just jump right into the emergency management of a particular area because you're going to miss, like I said, a lot of those nuances that that are going to make you that much better at what you're trying to do. That's really great, Paul. Hey, if um, people who are watching this wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Um, I can give you, if you want, I can give you my email. Um, Is it better to contact with you on LinkedIn or, I mean, just to follow you and your profile on LinkedIn oh, or Facebook or what's yeah, the best I mean, way? Well, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of a dinosaur on the, uh, on, the, on the technology side. I don't always <laughs> post things. I don't always post as much as I probably could or should. Um, but you know, if they want to hit me up on LinkedIn, I, I do answer the messages on LinkedIn. Um, that's, that's probably going to be the, would be, be the best way. And at that point, if I do, uh, you know, if I, if I do, do decide to, uh, to put some, some stuff out there, it'll, it'll be additional information for everybody, anybody who wants to follow. Okay. So if it's okay with you, I'll put your LinkedIn link, the web link, uh, with this podcast. So people no can connect with you and follow what you're doing as well. This has been really informative. It's been great speaking to a real professional who's in it right now and has huge experience. So thank you so much for spending time can with I look behind? Can I look behind me to the guy you're actually talking to? The real so, yeah. professional? The real professional, <laughs> the experienced leader. This is going to be very, very helpful for anyone who's watching this, but particularly for our students in our bachelor program and our master program. It's great to see people who are really in the role because theory is one yeah. thing, but hearing it through the eyes of experience, it's a whole nother thing. So thank you. Correct. No worries.